loss helps us define our lives. By allowing our grief to matter, we discover our own strengths and embrace our authentic selves. Welcome to Good Grief with your host, Cheryl Jones. Get ready to be inspired to create a deeper life to make your time on Earth much more meaningful. Now, here is Cheryl Jones. Hello, I'm your host, Cheryl Jones, and I want to welcome you to Good Grief, where we talk each week about the transformations that can come from loss. Today, I'm welcoming Lily Myers Kaplan. Lily's an author, soul coach, and the founder and executive director of Spirit of Resh Foundation. Resh, as the organization is fondly called, uses story to inspire people to build a relationship with death that informs their lives. As a Hebrew letter, Resh symbolizes a connection between spirit and matter. This is foundational to their work of honoring ancestors and building meaning and purpose from the most challenging life circumstances. Drawing from studies in archetypal psychology, earth-based wisdom cultures, and her experiences as a hospice volunteer manager, Lily says that using story as a force for healing in her Southern Oregon community is her passion and greatest privilege. Serving Spirit of Resh Foundation and providing one-on-one transformational grief retreats at her 20-acre sanctuary at Rainbow Ridge is Lily's way of honoring ancestors, sharing wisdom, gained through hardship, and helping others find beauty in the midst of their losses. In 2014, we, we met to talk about Lily's book, Two Rare Birds. Today, we will largely be talking about her book, Lost to Legacy, and it's so nice to have you back on the show. Welcome, Lily. Hi, Cheryl. Good to see you. Not see you, but hear you again. <laughs> yes, absolutely. <laughs> we, we don't see each other eye to eye quite, quite as much since you moved up there to Oregon. <laughs> you used That's to be left. That's true. I, I was, uh, you know, if I have someone come back on the show, I look back at when you were here last and oh I was such a a new um, radio host when you were on before that was within the first six months or so of this this show uh, so especially given how interested I am in in grief as a long-term uh, life event or life impact I'm really glad to get to talk to you again well that's great and you know it was also very new for me. I had just published my first book. I had just started Spirit of Resh Foundation, and I was just really getting into this end-of-life and grief work back then, and I, too, have a little more uh, experience under my belt. So it's great to have the long body of, of our relationship and of this grief journey and how um, you know how it's changed me and how it's changed my work over time. I'm excited to share that. Yeah, I, you know, obviously, um, I'm sure this happens to you too. Uh, I'll have someone come in to work on grief, which is mostly who I work with these days, and um, they'll say, "Oh God, how long will this last?" Um, and I'm thinking in my head, I don't always say it, but sometimes I'm thinking it'll last forever, but it, but that won't always be something you regret. That's right. Yeah. It will last forever. And that's, there's a beauty in that. And that's a lot of what I'm trying to, to bring forward in Lost to Legacy is that how do you find the beauty amid the sorrow? Because it's there. And 
you know, if we can turn toward our story. And I, I like to say to grievers, your story began long before your person died, mm. way before. Mm. And so you want to try to capture the fullness of that relationship, whether the loss is a person or a thing or an idea or a dream. You want to capture the full essence of it and by by bringing that story alive, there's a lot of joy and there's a lot of beauty. And so that's part of the healing journey of, I believe, uh, of our grief experience because grief changes, doesn't stay static. Absolutely. So for those people, those rare people who might not have been listening in April of 2014 <laughs> to my yeah. show, let's let's start at the beginning because um, you had a period of such profound loss and one in particular that that I would say brought you to your knees. Could I say that fairly? Um, yes, can you can you say, say a little bit about that time in your life and and uh, kind of the cracking open that happened for you? Sure. You know when I when I've been giving book talks, I, I like to start my story with uh, when my father died. Well, first of all, let me give your listeners a little overview. I, I had four people in my life die in two years, but three of them in one year of my close, intimate, immediate family. And one of those people was my sister, Lois. She was 59 when she died. I was 57. And that is the the loss that brought me to my knees. But when my father died, he was the first to go. I was a sole coach. I was in Oakland, California, you know, right down the street from you, Cheryl. And I had this beautiful, sunny office where I sat in my rocking chair and I listened to people who sat on the little green couch and they told their stories and they cried. And one of my clients called it the crying couch because as soon as she sat down, she always started to weep. Hmm. And I listened to stories of loss. They weren't always stories of death of a loved one, but everybody who shows up in a counseling office has a story of loss. And that story, as it gets told and retold and retold, begins to be become reframed, and that's what I did at that time. And it was so meaningful to me to do that work. And when my, my dad uh, was dying, we didn't really know he was dying yet, but we were, we were called to a family meeting. This is 3,000 miles away. I left my office thinking I'd be gone for a few days, and I was gone for a month because the family meeting led to my father choosing to go into hospice, and he died 10 days later, and we stayed, and I put, put him to rest and gathered my mother together and, and helped her find her way into this next life without him there. So when I walked back into my office, Cheryl, this just blew my mind. I, I came back. I'd been gone a month. I opened the door. I didn't even know what I was seeing, but there were sticks on the floor, like sticks. Where'd those sticks come from? And then I saw there were feathers on the floor, and then I noticed that the Buddha had fallen over and was Mm -hmm. on the floor. And then I saw that there was a bird sitting on a nest tucked up into the corner of that little crying couch. 
And she got up, and she was as stunned to see me as I was to see her, and she started strutting back and forth, and she decided she better leave. And she flew out the window that was open about four inches. Wow. And I just, I was so stunned, you know, but okay, uh, I've got a client coming in five minutes. (laughs) I better pick up the sticks, huh? (laughs) (laughs) And, uh... You know, I tried to do the best I could to not touch it because I wanted her to be able to come back and tend to her nest. So I pulled these folders out of my desk and I, I, I picked up the nest and I put it out on the ledge and I closed the window and I cleaned up my office, etc. But when I was putting that nest out the window and those two little eggs were sitting on there, I thought to myself... What new life is going to be born from my father's death? Mm-hmm. And that was the beginning. I had no idea what was coming down the road, but that was the beginning, that that, that perspective of holding my grief with the possibility something new could be born from it was what held me when two years later my mom died, three months later my sister died, And nine months after that, my sister's husband, Dave, died. So that, you know, my my living sister and I call it our year of death. And having three people die so close together, um, that, that was what really brought me to my knees. But I, even though my sister Lois had had brain cancer for 14 years, and I expected her to die from that, I was unprepared for how little, um, maybe I say it a different way, I was unprepared for how much I would not know who I was anymore when she Mm. died. Mm. And that was the thing that when I say I was taken to my knees was this lack of who am I now in the world without a Lois in it. So that... That, uh, that took me on a big journey, that not just the grief over not being able to sit next to her, touch her, look at her, talk to her, but having some part of myself die at the same time. And those two little eggs on that, that pigeon's nest <laughs> that was in my office, that, that kept me believing that something would come out of this. And I actually committed at some point along this journey of grieving her, that her death would not be without meaning. And that's how I came to write her story and my story into Two Rare Birds, A Legacy of Love, and to start the Spirit of Rush Foundation. I was committed to making meaning out of this horrible thing of my sister dying at 59. You know, we so much share that in common obviously, as a viewpoint that some, that the terrible sometimes births the beautiful, you know, that something can come mm-hmm. out of what is so ripping and, and uh, what chews us up, as it were. Um, but, I, but I imagine, and this is true for me too, um, I was already a little bit geared that way. It got a lot deeper, but, you know... Um, I I was already involved with therapy. You were already involved with soul work. Do you think that 
is sort of a little bit of a head start if we're already <laughs> sort of um, reflecting on life, examining our lives, trying to make something out of them? I, I'm, I'm sure that that skill helped a lot. I mean, I think I used every bit of every skill I had <laughs> accumulated at that point in, in my work with soul and my own soul and with other people uh, when I faced my, my sister's death. Um, and I think that, that there were so many uh, boom, boom, boom uh, added to the intensity of it. But yes. I do think... You know, and, and I think that, that my, my, when I, in my bio it says, you know, that I, I draw from archetypal psychology, I, I'm very oriented toward symbolism. And I see stories and I see the world in a symbolic way. And I, I sort of imagine that, you know, not only in the dreams we have at night, but in our waking life we're, we're dreaming too. And so I try to look at the, that, that life's experiences and what life gives me as if I could uh, grasp some meaning from, from that symbolism, those eggs. And that held me, that possibility. And yes, I had all this other skill, but I, I, my sister Sally, uh, who started Spirit of Rush with me, and I often looked at each other and said, two eggs on a nest. Mm. And then we'd say... Two birds on a nest, <laughs> because, you know, we were three sisters, yes. but now we're just two. And so we really called on that symbolism to help us grapple with moment by moment by moment, you know, ushering Lois through her death, and then with the big question about, well, what, where is she now, and who are we now mm-hmm. afterwards? You know, I feel like it would be a good moment to uh, have you share a little bit from the introduction to your latest book, because uh, in the first book, it was very visceral. All these ideas were in it, but I feel in the second book, you've kind of um, nailed them down in a way (laughs) to be, you know, uh, uh, to be... To help people conceptualize uh, yeah. what you're inviting them to. And I think it would be great for people to hear your perspective that comes out in, the, in, your, in your writing voice. Could you share great. that? Okay, I'd love to do that. Before I read that, I want to say, you know, it's funny, I thought I, I woke up in the middle of the night with this thought. It's like, tell, tell Cheryl this. <laughs> and, um, that, it, that thought was something like, um, you know, when I... When I wrote Two Rare Birds, it was about me. It was about my story. It was about uh, my memoir. And there's a lot woven in about accepting death. But when I finished Two Rare Birds and I thought, okay, now that's out in the world. Now what? The thing that stood out for me was not my story, but that everybody has a story and that lots of people are are um, uncertain about what does it mean to live a legacy, to have a legacy, to carry on a legacy. And so what became really important to me was other people's stories and what is it, what is legacy? Mm, what is absolutely. that? Absolutely. You know, that, that, that was in the title of my first book, A Legacy of Love. 
And you see now it's in the title of my second book, but this is Lost to Legacy. Legacy is the theme that I think is so important and so helpful and healing when we're grieving. That's what I said, that story starts so much sooner than just the loss. And to capture all of that is the legacy and to bring that through our lives, that's what gives meaning. And I believe meaning is an antidote to suffering. I, I believe we're going to talk about that a whole bunch more after our break, too. So let's leave people with the, the description of that in your, in your introduction, you know, that and more. And then let's, yes. let's talk more deeply about that after the break, too. Great. Okay. All right. So here we go. Finding your way through loss in whatever form it has arrived, is a path that relies on a wholehearted embrace of your own story. It requires steadfast determination. In a culture that doesn't readily accept death and emphatically sweeps grief under the rug, you will need to overcome the cultural forces demanding that strong emotions be kept hidden. Courage, daring, and dedication will be and must be your faithful and trusted companions if you were to conquer the prevalent but unspoken message, move on. We deeply feel this subtle and sometimes glaring burying of grief. Human resource departments with three-day bereavement policies and kindly neighbors with well-intended platitudes of support often miss the mark. Grief, with all its messiness, becomes a private affair left unmet and unwitnessed. We desperately need the communal source of sustenance that comes from being witnessed in our pain. We cannot heal alone. The stories and stepping stones in this book, with their twists, turns, and profound authenticity, connect us in our shared grief. They are guiding lights on the path to that courageous, tenacious skill building. Stories about loss and death are great equalizers. They bring us together regardless of heritage, ethnic background, life circumstances, or political affiliations. As they pave the trail, the stories encourage you to take heart, reminding you that although your grief is your own, you are not alone. Referring right back to what you're talking about, the grief as opposed to my grief. Listeners, you'll find links to my website and social media at the Good Grief page at Voice America, And uh, there's also a link to uh, my novel, A Notion Between Them, a link to places you can purchase that book. And to find Lily Myers Kaplan, you can go to reshfoundation.org. Be back soon. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. What sets apart voiceamerica.tv from the other video content providers on the Internet? Choice and flexibility means that you can host your video content live or on demand on the main voiceamerica.tv channels through your own branded media player or your own private TV channel. We support multiple media formats, so all of your video content can be in one place. We offer a number of advertising and video packages. For more information, visit voiceamerica.tv. If you think you've seen online TV like this before, let us surprise you. 
Perspectives with Dr. Vadisha Patel is a program that explores emotional management for a healthier lifestyle. On each program, we discuss ideas that support emotional well-being, such as mental illness, relationships, parenting, and family connections, and much more. If you are facing challenges in your life, you can grow and learn by exploring new techniques in dealing with stress, anxiety, and relationships. Perspectives with Dr. Vadisha Patel airs live Wednesdays at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific on Voice America health and wellness are you living a healthy and fit lifestyle it's not just related to your physical well-being it also means a healthier mind confidence improved health stamina and fitness talking with tremaine brings it all to you host tremaine ellis along with her husband and co-host david ellis will offer support advice guidance and motivation to keep you in your best shape both physically and mentally talking with tremaine can be heard live every wednesday at 6 p.m eastern time and 3 pacific on the voice america health and wellness channel Be sure to like the Voice America Health and Wellness channel on Facebook. You'll find great health tips from the experts. Find out more about your favorite shows and talk back to our team. Search Voice America Health or click the like button under the player today. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Listening to Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. To reach Cheryl or her guest today, please call 1 866 472 5792. That's 1 866 472 5792. You may also send an email to Cheryl Jones at weatheringgrief.com. Now, back to Good Grief. Welcome back. This is your host, Cheryl Jones, and I've been talking with Lily Myers Kaplan about her book, Lost to Legacy, and her own story, stories of loss that uh, resulted in the book these years later. And Lily, before the break, um, I appreciated your um, kind of lead-in to that, that piece from your book, um, which is to talk about how we, over time, become connected to uh, the the universality, maybe, could we say, of loss and um, the human, uh, being part of that human community of grievers. Obviously, there are some things that, that um, hit differently in different communities, of course, but uh, we all do share that, don't we? Yeah. And, I mean, there's so many different responses to loss uh, or death of someone we love. And, you know, when there's, when there's unfinished business, when there, you know, when there's not a, a forgiveness and there's, there's problems in the relationship, that's a certain kind of loss, uh, grief that comes when uh, it's somebody super, super close to us, uh, a spouse or a sibling or a parent or, you know, a soul friend. There's so many different kinds of responses to loss. And one of the things that I've tried to do with this book, Lost to Legacy, and you said this earlier, you know, such a shift, it's not really about my story, it's more about uh, other people's stories, um, is to try to make room for all the different ways that people could respond to loss, but also give a, um, a map a way of moving through it that's meaningful, that is spacious enough that you have your unique story and that fits in, 
but also guiding enough that you, you have somebody holding your hand along the way. So maybe it's helpful to tell people a little bit about how the book is contexted. Um, the, the first part of the book uh, is really, uh, it's called uh, Section 1, Morning to Meaning, and it's my story and other people's stories woven into these ideas that it's our story and breaking it down and really opening to all the different layers of our story and then digging in to find where the meaning is. What did we learn? Mm. I call that mining for gold. And then mm, yes. by doing that, then we find out what's really important, what really matters, what mattered in the relationship, what matters now, how do you bring that alive, and then it goes from there into, well, what's your vision? What I, That was my way of living through my sister's death was I just replayed my whole relationship with her and all the things that I'd learned things I'd learned by who she was, things I'd learned by how we struggled in our relationship, things I learned by how she coped with 14 years of brain cancer and her husband having 10 years of colorectal cancer and how they faced that illness, how they faced their death. There were so many things I learned particularly about how you could be joyful even when you're struggling. I learned that Love was what mattered more than anything else when it all was said and done. And so all of those things and, you know, who they had been and how they had been with their illness became what I call my, my, um, my vision for how I wanted to live. Mm. And to go back to what you were saying, Cheryl, about, you know, how death equalizes us and brings us all together, you know, my heart was cracked open so much. I can't even, I don't even know how to say it. Only other people who have been there know what I'm talking about. But I was just cracked and shattered. And I felt all that mattered was remembering my people. All that mattered was my story. And I... I really didn't like that there wasn't space in our culture for that. People were shying away from me because all I wanted to talk about was, you know, what had happened by uh, this experience. It was such a profound experience of my life. I was open. I was more loving. But I just wanted to tell my story. And that really got me thinking why is there a statute of limitations on talking about our grief? Why is that so hard in our culture? And that's what grew into a vision. That's what grew into a possibility and maybe it could be different. And that was the first thing that gave my life meaning. Wow, if this is something that I'm experiencing, so are other people. And now maybe I could do something about that. And so I, I stopped everything else I was doing and put all my attention on that. And that was a way of making my sister's life and death have meaning. And that's what I call legacy, you know, living a legacy. Yes, and sometimes it's not as, you know, with you and I, Lily, we, our lives 
especially our professional lives, are organized around that idea or that visceral experience, really, that um, we're immersed in this idea of making, making meaning out of loss. But I've noticed that even people who, who I speak with who haven't organized themselves that way, it shows in some way anyhow. <laughs> you know, even if the exact right. thing isn't about loss, it is about generosity and it is about legacy. And um, when that doesn't happen, then it's, then it's um, hard to have that balance of grief and gratitude uh, that yeah. actually Francis Weller talks about. Um, so I'm with you 100%. The thing that stands out about your book to me is that although you 100% um, affirm for people that their grief is individual and it's going to go where it goes and all that, it is a very structured book. And I think at a certain point, that's very helpful there's there's sort of containers for the unpredictable, as it were. And I wonder in that way, the first couple of parts of the book to me are descriptive and help people understand what they're going through, maybe. But the the last part, which is the um, the stones part, you know, the actual um, instructive part or workbook book part is very interesting to me because although, it's very organized, and there is a linear uh, aspect to it. It's also, to me, very open. Um, so could you talk about how those uh, different, those four standing stones came about for you, what they are, and how you put together the, the kind of out-of-control, you know, everything everywhere part of grief with with following a um, following a plan, I guess. Right. That's a really, really great question. I think it's what I was trying to do when I was telling that story just a, a minute ago about, you know, I had this experience and then I had this vision that came and I tried to make it meaning out of that. I was trying to put that into this order. And one day I was just driving down the road and these four words came to me. This is the path that I tread. Story, reflection, vision, and action. And I saw it just, it's like, that's exactly what I did. First, I told my story. I, I happened to do it by writing a memoir. Uh-huh. There's lots of ways to tell our stories. I also did it by making collages and altars and putting memorabilia everywhere in my house. That was another way I told my story. And, um, and, then, and then I reflected. Uh, as I was doing that, uh, one of the things I didn't say is I quit all my I quit my job. I sold my practice. I I stopped everything after my sister died, and I cleaned closets for like a year. And while I was doing all that closet cleaning and emptying out and emptying out, I was reflecting, and that's when I reflected on this idea that uh, there's a statute of limitations on this grief talk, and I wanted it to be different. So. First, it was my story. Second, it was reflecting and really giving myself time to think about what had I learned and what had I done and what did I regret and what did I want to be different 
going forward in my life. And then uh, the vision started to grow. So that's the third standing stone is the vision. What is the vision? Well, my vision was that we wouldn't be so afraid to talk about our grief and to make room for uh, having conversations about death in our culture. And then the fourth standing stone is action, and that was the action was to do something, was to, in my case, was start, start a nonprofit. But one of the stories I tell in the book was this woman started baking cookies. Her father had been a baker, and she started, you know, had been a baker and had a bakery in the little town where she grew up, and she got all the bakery recipes, and she started making these cookies, and now she makes 20,000 cookies a year and gives them to 80 people around the country every Christmas. And that's the legacy that she carries out. So that's her action. So I want to say, and that's another big story, but even if she only made those cookies for five people, and right. it, it had being for her, it's an action. So story, reflection, vision, and action are the four standing stones. And then what connects them are these stepping stones, and each stepping stone breaks it down with a worksheet. And then lots of journaling questions. And that's where I make room, like you said, for all the crazy, uh, un, un, uh, un, nonlinear ways that grief expresses is by journaling and by there's uh, blank pages f- for writing and there's blank pages for pasting images and pictures and drawing and doing a creative kind of process with what's moving through you. So there's this map, this linear uh, process through these standing stones, and each standing stone has two stepping stones for your story and for how do you reflect on your story, what do you envision as a result of that, and what actions support your vision. So that's uh, a lot of words to express that, you know, this is a very linear process, but within the linear process there's lots of room for uh, a circular process. You know, I have to throw in here, and then I'm going to ask you to read a little more from the book, but I have to throw in here that there's a, a song by Melanie Demore. I don't know if you know the song. It's called Standing Stone. Um, oh, really? Yeah, and it's it's an incredibly beautiful three-part um, three part so- song. Uh, I actually sing it quite often in my head and out loud. Uh, the words are, I will be your standing stone, I will stand by you. And oh. so that, uh, it's it's very beautiful. You can probably find it online. But in any case, um, I was thinking about that so much as I was reading your book because, of course, these are stones you're suggesting people stand on. But there's there was also, for me, an implication of community, that when we can tell our stories, we can connect. Um. <laughs> So that that was just in the back of my mind. I had to share it, but I'm I'm wondering. Yeah, yeah, it's a fantastic song, definitely. And um, she wrote it uh, when someone she loved very dearly was dying. So it mm. connects quite 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 a lot with what we're talking about. Oh, that's beautiful. Oh, and so I have to yes, that song. yeah, definitely. Um, now. You use the word, and it's part of this passage I'm going to ask you to read. Uh, You you use the word uh, initiation, which, of course, there there are steps to an initiation, right? (laughs) Um, Even though what happens within it is unpredictable, 
there are steps. And so that word connects for me that in a way, loss is an initiation into a world we didn't know about before. Could you share that part of the book um, for people? Sure. Yeah. I'll share that and I'll, I'll share this, uh, how one woman who came to one of our ceremonies um, used it uh, in a really beautiful way. So this is from Chapter 3 called Death and Grief as Initiation. For grievers, the path through loss is personal and archetypal. That's why mythic stories help us heal our personal suffering. For people grappling with loss, archetypal stories have the power to lift us out of the details of our unique pain and open the way to universal solutions and unseen healing potentials. You may recall stories from childhood or your young adult years, fairy tales, fables, mysteries, movies or books such as Harry Potter, Lord of the Rings, E.T., Star Wars. These stories took you to another world. Their wild and mysterious tales carve new imaginal pathways in the brain. Simple opening words, once upon a time or in a land far, far away, take us out of our everyday selves and plop us right down in an otherworldly, non-ordinary time, a healing territory. An example of this comes from a Tree of Living and Dying ceremony I led in Ashland, Oregon. Megan was in the circle. Her son, Keita, died several years before. She was bereft for a long time, blaming herself, feeling remorse and regret, and railing against his physical absence. Megan was flooded by grief. Yet when I invited the group to tell a story about their loved ones, she was inspired to make up a fairy tale. Beginning with the words, Once upon a time, Megan spoke about a drowning girl who eventually learned to breathe underwater. When the girl saw others drowning in the waters, she started helping them to the surface. Megan shared with me later that when she spoke this fable out loud, the simple opening words took her into that otherworldly healing terrain. By speaking in the third person, her metaphors birthed a new perspective. She marveled at how the heavy rawness of her, as she called it, old grief story effortlessly lifted. This is the power of mythic stories. The personal story still exists, but the archetypal one offers new ways for maneuvering through the loss. Megan said, this is powerful. I found a creative way of navigating my wrenching pain. Now I'm at the beginning of a whole new healing phase. That's quite a beautiful thing that happened for her. Uh, and it of really course, was very, very touching when she when she told that story, and and she told me later that she she didn't even know what she was going to say. She just started to speak, and the story came through her. And she's like, the story that she made up helped to bring her out of the drowning waters. She she learned to breathe underwater, and 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 so this was this was her entering that archetypal terrain. And I talk a little bit more about that in the book, and I use a specific mythology uh, about to uh, Greek mythology that show us how um, how how to grieve and how grief can transform. And that's the story of Persephone and Demeter, the 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 story that's about the the fallow lands of winter that happened during the 
the mother's grief. Uh, Demeter is the mother. Persephone is the daughter. And when Persephone is whisked away and she can't be found any longer, Demeter, the goddess of the grain, grieves and the land goes fallow and winter is all upon the land. And eventually, when Persephone is released from the underworld where she's been squirreled away, so to speak, <laughs> so uh, to speak, spring comes back. And this, this myth that, that speaks of the cycles of, of the earth and the cycles of our inner lives, that we grieve, we go underground, and like a seed underground, we, we recharge, and then we come back as something new. And this is the cycle of initiation, because when Persephone is abducted into the underworld, she's a maiden, but when she emerges in spring, she's a full-blown woman. And so that's a great that's a great place to go to our second break. <laughs> um, that's a great place to go to our second break. I want to come back to it though, and um, uh, it reminds me of something I have on my w- website. If winter's here, can spring be far behind? It's such a powerful grief thought for me. You can find Lily at reshfoundation.org. You can find me at the Good Grief Host page, and we'll be back after the break. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Healthcare has been a major part of news stories today with one thing that has been consistent. Inconsistency. Both healthcare providers and patients have to work around and get used to a constantly changing set of rules and issues. Nurses have historically been left out of this decision making. Listen to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, exploring the world of nursing with host Leanne Meyer. Health professionals, we invite you to share your ideas and experiences while listening to experts in various areas of nursing. Listen Mondays at 1 p.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Health and Wellness. Over 20 million people in America struggle with substance use. This impacts both the people who are using and loved ones who are trying to help. Still, there is hope. Tune in to the Beyond Addiction Show with host Josh King. You'll hear from experts and get the real information you need to understand and assist in change. Change can be hard. It doesn't have to be confusing. Tune in every Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time and 1 p.m. Pacific Time on Voice America Health & Wellness. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You are listening to Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. To reach Cheryl or her guest today, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to Cheryl Jones at weatheringgrief.com. Now, back to Good Grief. Welcome back. I've been speaking with Lily Myers-Kaplan about all things grief and lost to legacy, her book, and um, we were talking, Lily, just about, you know, kind of having a, a guide along the path. Right before the break, you, you, talk, you were talking about Persephone and Demeter. And uh, I've thought of the seasons as a kind of guide sometimes, you know, 
which which of course that story seems to me to be all about that every er, all the seasons have their have their place have their meaning and and have their importance and um yeah. you know we, we don't get to skip winter kind of thing <laughs> um but i wondered if you had more you wanted to share about that particular you know powerful uh lost story um, kind of in the collective unconscious. Well, I do think that uh, that myth, uh, and, and I go into it quite uh, in a little more depth in the book, and showing us how this is uh, telling us that grief can be an initiation. That grief can, it's terrible and it's horrible when somebody we love dies, but that death is part of the reality of life. And by accepting that, we can we can have a more vital relationship with life if we fully embrace our own mortality and if we can accept that that, however untimely or however tragically or however someone has died, if we can accept that that is part of the cycle of life, the cycle of the seasons, the cycle of humanity, then we can partner with that in some kind of greater way. And that that helps us to then be uh, initiated, to grow from our grief as opposed to just survive it. And uh, I like to say, let's be proactive in how we're going to engage with our grief rather than have our grief simply run us over. Hmm. Yes, Although you did emphasize in the book leaving some room for feeling run over at the start. Uh, I think you said yeah. something like, if this book isn't timely for you, that's fine. You know, um, Because I do think often there's this, this period where I'm thinking of a client of mine right now who has thoughts about where she'd like to go, but she just can't. You know, <laughs> it's not timely. Right. And we have right. to honor that too, don't we? Absolutely. I was just going to say that exact word. It has to be honored. Um, you know, I had somebody call me one time. Uh, he wanted to join this Lost a Legacy program that I was leading. And as I listened to him tell me about his loss and where he was, I just said, no, you know, this, this would be violent to you. Mm-hmm. You're not ready. It, asking you to to work it and work your grief in this way would be a violence to your soul. But in, in six months, maybe, or a year, it might be, might be ready. But you really have to honor your own cycles. And, you know, even, even if you're not ready to work the stepping stones, there's a lot in the book, in the preliminary ideas, that might help you prepare yourself to do uh, this more uh, intensive, initiatory kind of work, is what I call and- it. And of course, for me, the very idea that someday uh, something could emerge from what I was going through that would redeem it, that would be a legacy to the person that I lost, just that idea was very profoundly helpful, even though I wasn't ready to do it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you know, I, I think... Um, that's why I, I love re- reading memoir, for instance, because somebody got through it 
and got to someplace different and wrote a book, you know, <laughs> that kind right. of thing. And this right. even more, you know, then over time, for both of us, different things have evolved out of that experience that are, are certainly precious to me. And I never lose sight of the fact that it's a legacy to the person I lost. And I'm sure you don't either. Right. Well, that, I mean, when I said earlier that, that those two eggs on the nest that I found in my office, that carried me through, just like this myth, this Persephone and Demeter myth carried me through. I knew that one day I would come to spring. I knew that I would, like your Can Spring Be Far on your website. And, and that really helped me. It helped mm-hmm. me when I do nothing but clean out closets. Right. And I couldn't even imagine doing soul work, you know, being a soul work coach for somebody. I couldn't. So that was there too. So, you know, I took that year to let myself not know who I was. And by, by t- saying yes to that, my own inner death, just like, you know, my sister died and I, didn't, uh, I died, I let myself die. But I believed and I knew and I trusted that it wouldn't be forever. And I think that is a really important point that you make, that believing in that, even if we're not there, is uh, it's a container of a sort. Yeah, to, and, to, uh, it's, and, it's know, very close to going on faith, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> so well, to speak. I, I mean, why having, I mean the, the reason I wrote Lost a Legacy, and honestly, I woke up in, in January of this year saying, oh, my God, I have to do it, I have to do it now, and I have to do it this year. And I don't know why, Cheryl, I just, like, I put my nose to the grindstone and I, I wrote this book in nine months. Literally, exactly nine months, and then I gave forth to it. <laughs> How ironic! <laughs> <laughs> and um, I, uh, I, I just felt like people need to know that here's a map, and you might not follow the map exactly. And I, I often get lost when I'm trying to follow a map, you know, on, in the roads. Although, uh, you know, it's good to have one. And uh, you can take that route your own way. And that's why. And I, you can see that really there was, I, I guess what I would say is uh, when I look backwards, I can find the directionality that certain things that didn't make any sense to me, I didn't see how they fit in, but they were compelling. And so I did them. Uh, now I can see exactly how they fit in, you know, right. so I, th- I think we're, we're challenged to follow ourselves in a way that we're not encouraged to in regular everyday life. Um, I, I don't want you to, I don't want to get through the last, uh, our last third here without hearing a little more of the book. Could you share the living legacy part of the book? Sure. We're getting, getting kind of close to our time, unbelievably. So let's, yeah. uh, let's hear that. We're each given a legacy. We live that legacy and then leave one when it's our turn to depart from this life. Though many of us may not like the life we were born into, it's up to us to learn and grow from what we inherited in order to create our most authentic life, our living legacy. A legacy is what you leave in your own wake, a physical or virtual expression of the sparkling gems developed from sharing your story, mining your gold, 
and finding a vision for what I call a more-than-new-normal life. In a deeper sense, it's an ever-evolving work in progress, an everyday way of living and belonging to the world. That is a living legacy. They unfold into the world, becoming inspiration for everyone. They have a life of their own, expanding beyond our own personal need to heal. Choosing how you carry out the values of your old life and live in accord with your lessons learned, the blessings among the curses, and new visions born from encountering death is what moves you forward. Your choices, how you relate with life from now on, ripple outward. It's like a butterfly effect in which one simple movement, like the flapping of a butterfly's wing, can give rise to a tornado across a continent. This is a great metaphor for the way that a small change can create a big transformation. One small action here turns into an impact there. Each time someone finds meaning and purpose from their grief, then implements legacy-building actions, I'm humbled by their courage. When I witness people tossing away old attitudes and adopting new ones, my faith in the resilience of the human heart is enhanced. Even though I know that grief will visit another day for all of us, I appreciate the tenacity, audacity, and dedication that take us through our gauntlet. We walk this path for ourselves and for one another. Each time someone chooses this stepping stone path to healing and transformation, it strengthens my living legacy. And by sharing it with you, I strengthen yours. We are not alone. There are many walking beside us together we stand at the threshold of this mighty path. You know, I've been doing a lot of reflecting on this this show, this Good Grief show, because it just passed six years. And mm-hmm. so for six years, I've been listening to people's stories about exactly what you're talking about. Um mm-hmm. Uh, because that's the heart of the show, isn't it? <laughs> we have very compatible yeah. experiences uh, that we that people do very frequently find meaning and go forward from loss in a way that's beautiful and unpredictable. Um, so thank you very much. I enjoyed the book. I think it's a wonderful guide and and a deep reflection of this I, this thing we both believe in so much. So thank you for sharing it today. Well, thank you for having me. It's been an honor. And just and great to hear your voice again, Cheryl. You too. I miss you. Uh, if you, if you <laughs> want to get in touch with the Lily, go to reshfoundation.org. Next week, I'll have Michelle Hoffman, author and creator of The Widow Guide. This has been Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. I look forward to being with you again next week for another meaningful conversation. Thank you so much for joining us for Good Grief. Please come back next Wednesday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time for another edition featuring your host, Cheryl Jones, on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Have a meaningful week. Abre mi corazón.